right? And I, I love something that Bob Meisner says when, when he comes, and it's the word that, that God spoke to him uh, when, when they were in that situation and his wife became pregnant uh, from the affair she had. And the Lord said to Bob, will you be a father to the orphan that's at your door, right? And I think the question is actually for all of us, will we rise up to be fathers to everyone that God puts in our life and not just our biological children, right? Because he's looking for those that will step up and be a reflection of the love of the Father to those around them. Are you with me? So, you know, I could tell you, you know, I could probably preach for two hours about fathers. I'm not going to do that, don't worry. But um, a few things that you might want to write down or, or, or remember about this. You know, fathers are the protectors. We know that one really well, right? We all got our shotgun at home and everything. All right. I have five because I have, you know, five kids, you know, four daughters. Just kidding. Uh, we're the providers, right? I mean, responsible. Like whether your wife works or not, you know, whether you're the single provider. And you know what? I'm sorry. I forgot about something. Here, are there any single moms in here? Would you please stand? Okay, we need to bless them too. I, I never forget about this, but I don't want to keep going. Because they play a double role. Right? And we need to honor that. So stretch your hands towards them. Father, we thank you for single moms that are brave and strong and courageous. That have had to stand there, Lord, and fill in the gap, God. And we just pray a blessing over them. And we thank you that you give them everything. You've put inside of them everything already that they need to cover that. That you even bring godly men around their, their, uh, their lives and their children's lives, God. To be a blessing. To be that figure of a father, God. But that you bless them and you give them favor and you prosper them, God. We thank you you're the protector in their home. We thank you that you're their provider, Lord. And we just ask you, God, that you continue to shine your face upon them. And, and that your favor will continue to chase them down, Lord. That you would strengthen them, God. That you would give them good sleep at night and rest, Lord. And so we bless and honor these amazing women who have uh, played the role of fathers in their home and the heads of their home as well, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give them a hand, brave women. Amen. So fathers are the protectors, they're the providers, right? I mean, we're responsible. If Whether your wife works or not, you know, I think responsibility should be always on the man, right? Make sure, like, okay, how are we going to do this? You know, if, 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 if she, you know, when my wife got pregnant, I said, all right, well, if you don't want to work anymore, that's fine. You know, I'll, I'll take charge. You know, when I first came to, to this country, I couldn't even work. I didn't have a permit to work or anything, you know, and she was the breadwinner for the first few months of our marriage. And then God spoke to me. He's like, well, what are you going to do? Right. And I'm like, well, God, I'm a victim. I don't have anything to do. I can't do anything, you know, until, you know, and then. Lord provided, you know, for me, and I stepped up, and I took the position, and, you know, thank God, I'm, I'm the provider of the home, right? If I wanted to work, that's good. If she doesn't want to work, God's going to take care of us anyways, but I'm responsible to make sure whether I have to have two, three, four jobs, you know, and that's the responsibility that falls on man, you know, whether it's said or unsaid, you know. You know, we have responsibility to provide, but if we set our provider to be God, then I'm telling you, it's pretty, pretty relaxing, Right? knows I have a family. <laughs> He's my provider. He knows I need to feed many 
house. And then on top of that, this dog that made it into our home somehow. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, and I think most men are, uh, most fathers are, are very aware of, you know, being the protector and the provider. But then there's, there's a couple other mores is, that we always talk about is the priest and the prophet, you know. And the priest, and it's not because they're all just with P, okay. All right. You get that? Provider, protector, priest, prophet. Okay. It's not just because of that, but it's real, okay? Because the man as the priest of the home, what does that mean? The priest is the one that brings the family to the Lord, right? So as, as the man of the home, as, as again, if you don't have biological children, you should be the one influencing, initiating people. Hey, let's go to church. It's a good thing to come before the Lord, to gather together, to worship God together, right? The priest is the one that presents the people to God. And then the prophet, the prophet's the one that's teaching, that is speaking the word of the Lord to the family. So it's going the other way. So as a man, you know, let me tell you, like, you don't have to have a doctor's degree. And maybe your wife is more spiritual than you are, or at least you feel that way. But let me tell you, if you're a man who provides and protects for his family, you're very spiritual. If you're a man that spends time with his kids and his wife, you're very spiritual. You know, you don't have to be loud like your wife if that's not you. I mean, like, you know, in your worship and stuff like that. Some of us are a little louder than others, but what matters is really your heart, you know. But, you know, we're, we're the prophet, meaning we're the ones speaking the word to our children. We're the ones always pointing them to God, pointing, you know, hey, this is what God says. You know, have you done your devotional today? Have you done your devotional today, right? And we also know that we lead by example, you know. Kids see more than they listen, Right? So if they never see you in your Bible, if they never see you praying, if they never see you or hear you talking about the Lord, no matter how much you tell them about the Lord or what they have to do or what they have to read, it's, it's not going to be as impactful as what they see you do. Okay? So we're all these things. You know, we talk about, I think last year we said, you know, good fathers make a way and they establish a foundation. In other words, something we talk about here a lot is, you know, the, the concept that we want our ceiling to be your floor. What does that mean? That means that if we started scrubbing toilets, we don't have to make you start scrubbing toilets. We want our ceiling to be your floor. That means that we want to go so far in the Lord and everything that we gain that you can start from there instead of make you start from nothing. And I think that idea has been passed around so much that it has sounded good, religiously good. Like, oh yeah, well, you know. Your dad started at the bottom, so it doesn't matter how much he has, you have to start at the bottom too. And it's like, no. That's what fathers are for, are to build a foundation upon where their kids can continue on and take it on forward. That's what Jesus did. He's not making us die on the cross again, right? It's like, well, I died on the cross, and uh, so now you do that too. No. He, the cross is where we start from, Right? Where he went to, he establishes as a place that we go from now, right? He's not making a start from the bottom and goes through the same sufferings that he went through. So a good father makes a way and establishes foundations and makes their ceiling to be their children's floor. You know, it's the same thing at church. You know, we, we want like, however far we go, we want you to continue on from there. Whatever we've learned and the Lord has shown us, we want to impart that to you that you may continue on. Whatever we've learned through pain, we want you to learn it through wisdom. Do you get that difference? I'm not going to make you learn through pain what I learned through pain. That's not a good father. 
That's why we have the word of God, right? The word of God is like he's giving us wisdom to start from. We get to choose. A father gives identity and gives value to his children. You learn who you are from your father. Whether it's said or unsaid, you learn your value and your identity from your father. That's why it's incredibly important that we get that from God, our father. Because our fathers on earth are imperfect. And not always have they passed on the good things that we need to learn. Sometimes they've messed up. Sometimes they forgot. Sometimes they didn't know any better. That's why our identity has to come from Father God directly. That's why we all need a spirit of adoption, no matter how good your earthly father was. So that you receive value from your heavenly father who tells you who you are, what you can do, and the purpose and the calling he has for your life. And that's the father that does not demand perfection. Because maybe you had an earthly father that demanded perfection, right? Maybe you were a firstborn raised by two firstborns. Ouch. Tough. Sorry. Perfectionists, right? And then you're super hard on yourself. And what happens is you start measuring your acceptance with your father by your works. And that's not a good father, right? A good father, he loves us unconditionally, just as we are, right where we're at. You know, we talk, we, we use the story of the, uh, um, of the prodigal son many times, which is how we know the story, but really it's the extravagant father's story. Because it's the extravagant father that was at the door for the day that his son would come back, and the day he came back, without excuses, without explanations, he took him right in, celebrated him, and restored him right back to his identity, to who he was, a son, not a servant. And that's what Father God does with us, too. It doesn't matter where you're at in your life, how much you're struggling with. He's a good father that brings you home and gives you, restores you completely, your identity, your value, and restores you to your place, place of sonship or daughtership. Right? So we need to separate ourselves from our works and how good we did or didn't in regards to how much we are loved and how much we're accepted by our Heavenly Father. When you do that, everything you do will come from a place of rest and a place of identity instead of a place of trying to earn an approval and get to a place that is good enough. Otherwise, you will live your life on works, forever, on works, you know? And guess what? You will teach others to also live by works around you. You will teach them that they have to earn it and, you know, be good enough and do this and do that in order to be accepted and to be loved and to be celebrated. Are you with me? So how can I be a better father? You know, that question bounces in my head quite a bit. Anybody else? <laughs> how can I be a better father? And I thought of many things, many options. I've looked and I've studied many different ones, you know. Well, if we have a bigger house, you know, they would feel, you know, like better about themselves. If we had a nicer, newer car, you know, they would feel more confident, you know, wherever they go. If we had more money, you know, they could get anything. If I never say no to them, ooh, here's a big one. If I never say no to them, then... I'll really be a good example of God and I'll really, you know, like I won't traumatize them ever. 
If I do this, if I do that, if I buy this, if I buy that, you know, if I leave him a really large inheritance, then that'll be it. You know, if I teach him this and that and, you know, and, and I went through all those scenarios and I prayed about them and I see that none of them are eternal. None of them are eternal. When you leave this body, this earth, everything stays here. Everything. So the most valuable thing that we can leave, the legacy that we can leave our children is a spiritual one, right? It's an eternal one. It's one that transcends this earth. One that crosses through to eternity. So I ask God, you know, what, how can I be a better father, you know? And, and I think the answer is by being, by having a closer relationship with God every day. If I am growing in my relationship with God every day, I'm always being changed. I'm always being improved, right? I don't need that facade that, well, because I'm a dad, I know everything and everything I do is the right thing, no matter what. Hey, I was guilty of that, at least for the first three years of being a dad, right? I'm like, what I say is what it is. And everybody else is wrong, because I'm dad. And I thought that I had to look that way for my kids to respect me, for my kids to really learn from me, right? You know, it didn't take me long to learn humility, especially with the amazing wife I have. And to learn that that is the wrong answer. And so, how can I be a better father? By increasing and growing in my relationship with the Lord. Think about it. The more... I know God, the more of him I reflect to my kids, the more they have a relationship with God, right? Because we lead by example. So it's not telling my kids, go to church and have a relationship with God, you know, but it's in my own relationship, in putting God first, that I'm really giving them something valuable. Because think about that. You can leave them money, you can leave them inheritance and everything. But if they don't have a relationship with the Lord... What good is any of that? Think about this. If they don't have a relationship with the Lord, what's going to happen the day, you know, we are out of this earth and they're hitting a real pandemic? What are they going to do? How are they going to know who to run to? How are they going to know that they can live in peace and they don't have to, you know, live in hopelessness? And even going further, how are they going to teach their kids? I don't have enough time to talk about this, but I'm going to make it really brief because I think it's important. Humans have a negative a negativity bias. And what happens is that the negative situations and the negative experiences have a greater impact in us than the positive ones, you know, and many, you've heard this in many ways, right? You know, it takes like seven good positive things to overcome one negative, right? Whether it's in reviews and impressions or, you know, in, in words or whatever it is, right? And so, sadly, the good thing that you teach your children aren't as impactful as the negative things you teach them or they see you do. That's terrible, right? 
So, I don't know if I want to go here, but I'm going to go here. We're going to use this example, okay? I think all of us know that it's not about going to church, but it's what it represents, right? And it's, it's the, the whole idea that we know. It's not the religious, like, go to church, go to church, okay? But we're going to use this example, okay? So, back in the day when I grew up, you know, people in our surroundings that went to church never missed church. They were at church every single Sunday, okay? That's not the case nowadays, okay? You know, it's, it's a much more flexible culture that it's like, oh, if you're there one Sunday and you're not there the next one, but then you come back two weeks later, like, it's okay, like, you know, especially right now. I mean, we're, we're a grace church, right? So <laughs> we're definitely not condemning people for missing a Sunday, ever. Like, we don't do that. We just love people where they're at. We love them, right? But the thing is, uh, what I'm talking about is your children. So if your children, you know, like me, I grew up going to church every day. Like, that's what I learned. That was very positive in my life, right? And I had amazing experiences with God. And, and I believe my parents established that foundation for me so that when they're out of my life, they don't have to be worrying whether I'm at church or not. Does that make sense? Okay. When you have the opposite, when you have the, you know, there sometimes, not there sometimes, and that stuff, I want you to think, if that's you, what do you think your kids are going to do when they're grown-ups? You think they're going to go to church more or they're going to go to church less? Right? And so that's why it's not that it's, it's harder to be a parent because we need the grace of God. But what I'm saying is that they will learn far more from the things that they see us doing, how we lead our life, than the things that we tell them to do. Right? So how can I make sure that my kids have a relationship with God when I'm no longer in their lives? You know how scary it is to think that one day there will be adults and they will be making their own decisions and living on their own and, and like doing this stuff and they won't be asking me about everything and that I won't know every little thing they do every day? Like that's frightening. How do you know that they're making the right choices and the right stuff? Let me tell you the time is sooner than later and it's by you leading your life. So how can I be a better father? How can I be a better mother? It's like, have a closer relationship with God. Grow in your relationship with the Lord every day. Let it be more and not less. That's the only eternal thing that is going to cross through that, that is actually going to affect them. You know, Because when you leave their lives, they can still have a relationship with the Holy Spirit who teaches them all things and guides them in all things, right? That leads them to truth always. And that's the greatest confidence I could possibly have. More than leaving them riches, which believe me, I'm believing for, right? <laughs> right? More than leaving them houses. More than leaving them, you know, material things. The most important thing that I can leave them is a relationship with God. Because just like he prospered me, he can prosper them. Even if I didn't leave them a penny, he could bless them. He could protect them. If I can't protect them, he could protect them. He could provide for them. He could bless them. He could lead them. He could speak to them like he has spoken to me. So I'm like, how? What's the, you know, what can I do to be a better father? Well, really, if you really want to know the answer, is growing your personal relationship with the Lord. Growing your personal relationship with the Lord. And let them feed from that. Let them see that. Let them, you know, reflect that same thing. 
that you're reflecting to them. Um, our default fathering comes from how we were fathered. Okay? So how many times have you ever thought, huh, I guess that wasn't the right thing to do when my parents taught me to do that. <laughs> you know, huh, I guess, you know, now that I am an adult, I don't think that was the right way to do it. <laughs> Anybody ever had that thought across their mind? They'll be like, why did my parents ever let me watch this? Why did they, like, why did they think it was a good idea to have a TV in my room? Like, these thoughts come to mind sometimes, right? And you're like, you know, why? <laughs> you realize those were not the best ideas, right? Um, and so I'm like, God, how do we put you first, you know? And what does the word say about that? Because I don't want to just parent how I was parented because it's not perfect it's not the best and I even though my my parenting my growing up was really good I believe it can be improved right you know and it and the best way to do that is from how our father parents us so my new go-to book for parenting is always the bible what did God do about this how did God how does God parent me you know oh but this is the third strike all right let's look up on the bible how many strikes did this person have what was the response? What was the answer, you know? And I come finding out that above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. I'm like, ooh, learn how to love well. Your children, how to love them well, right? How they're different. Oh, my gosh, the more you have, the more different they are. <laughs> You'd think like, <laughs> like, well, got one, like, how hard can it be? You know, all the other ones, you just do the same. You're like, no, 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 you don't understand. It's like a different every time. It's like the, uh, it's like you go up another level. And you know, every level, on the, at least on Nintendo, they get harder, you know. So with kids, that's the same, you know, just, you know. So I want to talk about a few characters really quick. First of all, Abraham. You know, one of the things he did is he put God first. Do your, do your kids, spiritual kids, people around you, do they see you put God first? You know, do they see you put God first? Abraham waited 25 years for the promised son. And when the promised son came, you know, it was right away. Isaac was about 30, 30-something years old. Um, God's like, all right, um, you know, give me your one and only son that you love and sacrifice him to me. Right, and uh, no matter what was going on in Abraham's head, which is hard to speculate, he did it. He went up the mount, ready to sacrifice his son Isaac. And Isaac knew exactly what was going on. He wasn't a little kid; he was a grown-up. He knew exactly what was going on. He's going up there, and. Here's what shocks me about this story is that they trusted God. And Isaac got a first-hand lesson of what it was like to trust God blindly and see God come through and provide. I wouldn't have blamed Abraham if he took Isaac and tried to go hide somewhere in the, in the world. 
right? Hey, you gave me this promise, but you know what? Abraham was not more attached to the promise than the one that promised him. And sometimes we get attached to the things that God gives us more than the one who gave them to us. So Isaac got to see God is first. God is first. You know what I know in my, in my wife's life? I know that God is first. And I'm not jealous. I'm happy. I'm happy that God comes first in her life. Because then I'm not her source for everything. Scary if you were her source, right? And the same thing for my kids. I want them to see that God is our source and that he comes first. I'm not saying ministry comes first, okay? Because I know that to some people that, that has a very hurtful memory, right? And I've seen that. I'm not saying ministry. I'm saying the Lord. And Isaac got to see, got to learn that crazy lesson, you know, that God was first in his dad's life. Do you think Isaac knew the story about how he came to be born? Of course he did, right? Like, let me tell you, son. Sit right here, you know. Oh, Dad, I've heard this story a hundred times. Yes, but it's Father's Day, and I want to tell it again. <laughs> when I was 75 years old, the Lord promised me that I was going to have a son, and then, you know, well, we had a little boo-boo in the way, but, you know. Then, um, then we waited on the Lord, and in His grace... You know, your mother became pregnant, you know. Yes, I know, that old, but it was a miracle and God provided, right? You know, he knew the story of how he had come. So the day comes like, all right, son, um, Lord spoke to me. We're going up the mount. Okay. We're not bringing a sacrifice, right? And they're just walking up. Like he knew, right? I mean, at some point when you're getting tied up, You know. What a lesson. Well, that's the God of my father. And he comes first. And he got to know the God of his father as a provider, right? And he provided for them. And that's how they got to know God as their provider. Jehovah Jireh is the first first place in the Bible where God is referred to as Jehovah Jireh. That he provides, the God who provides. And he provided a ram that got caught up there and said, all right. I've seen that I am truly first in your life. So how can I be a better father? Make sure God is first in your life. And you think that lesson stayed with Isaac? You bet it did, right? You bet it did. He got to see firsthand, this is what happens. This is how good and faithful God is. Is that good? So that's in Genesis 22. You can go and read that amazing, amazing chapter, okay? He trusted and he obeyed God. He was never attached to the promise more than he was attached to his God. Um, Isaac got to witness, okay? So when faced with the possibility of death, what do you do? They trusted God. When faced with the possibility of death, how do you respond? How do you react, right? Trust God. Trust God. What you do in the tough times makes a greater impact than what you do in the normal times. Think about that. Here you have Daniel, right? 
who prayed three times a day. That was his normal life. Opened up the windows, prayed to God three times a day. That was his normal life. All of a sudden, things change on the outside. Okay? He had a relationship with God. That didn't change. What changed was outside. In this case, a law, right? They changed the law and they said, hey, now you cannot worship your God. You have to just worship this, you know, the king's God and you have to bow to him, blah, 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 right? And they did this to trick Daniel, right? You can go ahead and uh, read that at home. And that's in um, Daniel uh, chapter 6. And then they come and, you know, they take Daniel. They're like, hey, you know, you can't be worshiping your God. But what does he do? Like, He's like, he doesn't change, right? He, he still did what he did. He worshiped God. You know, it didn't compromise his values. It didn't compromise his beliefs. It didn't, you know, shake him up. He's like, oh, well, you know, like the world changes, right? But Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? The world's going to change. We can conform to the world or we can stand on the word of God. Right? And so what did Daniel do? You know, when things got ugly out there, he continued to pray. See? Because, well, the rest of the story is like, you know, they throw him in with the hungry lions. And, you know, God closed the, the mouth of the lions. And, and, and then the next day he comes out and the king's like, oh, my gosh, praise the Lord. Praise your God. Right? And this crazy testimony. Big impact. What did Daniel do? Nothing. The same thing. What did he change? Nothing. He did the same thing that he always did, worshiping the Lord. What you do in the tough times makes a greater impact than what you do in the normal times. Things got tough for him, but he carried on. It didn't shake him. And that made a greater impact. He didn't do anything different. He didn't even, I don't even think he says a word during this whole chapter. Like they take him, they arrest him, they put him down there, you know, he comes out. He's like, yep, my God, you know, closed the lion's mouth. You know, those lions were so hungry that when they threw in the, the tattletellers, the lions got him before they even hit the bottom of the pit. It's a very graphic story. But I love that, that Daniel just stood firm. He just stood firm. Things are going crazy out there, okay? You know, they're telling me I can't worship my God anymore. And he's just like stood firm, did the same thing he did. Because what you do when things get tough are more impactful than what you do when it's normal. Nobody cared. Some guys were bothered that, you know, that he wouldn't worship the other God. But it's not like he had to come up with a new strategy. We're God's children. We always trust his word. We always believe his word above all things. Therefore, no matter what goes on out there, I have no reason to fear. Are you with me? I love that Daniel was not fearful. When faced with the possibility of death, what did he do? Went about his business. Went about his life. Kept worshiping the Lord kept putting God first. Are you with me? David, you know, he had a secret life where he killed lions and bears to defend his sheep. And then when the time came, things got tough. 
the armies of Israel were being threatened by Goliath, right? And he comes out there. And what happens in this public life was a reflection of what had been happening in his private life. You know, Saul's like, no, I can't let you go fight him. He's like, listen, king, I killed a lion and I killed the bear. Look, you see that? That's me. I have selfie with the lion, you know, <laughs> selfie with the bear after I broke up in his jaw. And, uh, and he's like, I've done this before, right? Here's the crazy thing. Our public life is a reflection of our private life, especially when things get tough, because we can put up a good face that doesn't necessarily reflect our private life, but when things get tough, then your public life really is a reflection of your private life. And so, you know, you have David here who had been preparing for this stuff. He didn't know what he was preparing for. He was just trusting God, right? Having a relationship with God. And all of a sudden comes and he's like, he's not afraid of death. You know, the Bible says that death lost its sting. And I love, I'm going to move quickly to the, to the last story. Um, Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I love those three. They are amazing. They're my heroes. They're my heroes because you know what happens, the same, same type of story, right? You know, when the trumpet blows, you're all going to bow down. And the king knew them, so he didn't want to kill them. He's like, all right, you guys come here. You know, you can read that in Daniel chapter 3. He's like, all right, you guys come here, come here. I'm going to give you one more chance. We're going to blow the trumpet thingy, okay? And, and then you're going to bow because they're telling me you, you're not bowing. And if you don't, we have this Instapot we're going to throw you in, you know? <laughs> and so they blow the trumpet and they're like, <laughs> sorry, king, but we're just not, not going to do that, you know? And they said, and I love their words. I'm actually going to read that in Daniel chapter 3. Um, it says, but if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately in the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Zadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. I love that. If you throw us in there, the God that we serve is able to save us. Like they knew this. They were so like chill. I don't even think they were yelling, you know, anything. They're probably just like, oh, king. Like, you know, they knew how big their God was. Like the God whom we serve is able to save us. And here's the other part that I love so much. And this is what challenges me. And I hope it challenges you too. It says, he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. <laughs> like with all due respect. And then it says, but even if he doesn't. Man, that's powerful. Even if he doesn't. You know what? Because it's kind of like uh, when Michelle Castellano was teaching on Wednesday night. She said, you know. Like we have vision and, and we have plans and that's good, but the Lord orders our steps and he said, and sometimes God likes to color outside the lines. You're believing for something and, and he, he's not necessarily going to do it exactly the way you thought it was going to happen, which is where trust comes in, you know, because you have to abandon yourself in him, trusting him that he's got your best interest, right? And so he likes to color outside the line sometimes and you got like, God, that's not the line that I did, you know? And so I love it because these guys right here, their faith is 
firm and it's strong. And they're like, God is able to save us. But then they make room outside the lines to say, he's still God. Even if it doesn't happen our way, okay? And he says, I lost it. I'm not, I'm not trying to make it interesting here. It says, but even if he doesn't, we want to make clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set. Like, that's bold. By no means do I think any of what's going on in the world resembles this, you know, like that's nothing. But one day it will be like that. One day you might get like that, you know. And would we be able to stand like them and say, our God is able to save us. But even if it doesn't, even if he doesn't, right? Which means I don't know everything. I am humble enough to know that I don't know everything. And if it doesn't happen this way, I want you to know I still believe in him. I still worship him. I still love him. And I still trust him with my life and with eternity, right? <laughs> And I, I, love, I, I want that boldness, you know? And that is something that it's not just for fathers. It's for everyone, right? That in our boldness, what we do when things get tough, right? How we respond when things get tough. The things, you know, that we do are far more impactful. They made history by just continuing to worship the Lord how they normally did, Right? They didn't compromise their values. They didn't compromise, you know, who they were. They didn't compromise their worship and water it down, you know, to make others feel good. They're like, they're so respectful and so loving and just saying like, I'm sorry, but, you know, our God is able to save us. And if he doesn't, we're still not going to worship your God. And those are the kind of things that we pass on to our children. See, those bold stand those firm foundations what we do when things get tough is more impactful well um, I'm going to close but um I want to reiterate that question I had at the beginning. You know, how can I be a better father? Having a closer relationship with God, putting him first, you know, and standing firm when things get tough. You know, I pray for this boldness. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit that gives us that boldness. It's the Holy Spirit that makes us bold, and we need that in our lives. I, um, I'm going to give you extra homework and that's Genesis 38 because that's the contrast of someone Judah who did not put God first or had a close relationship with God Judah was very worldly and very full of lust and very promiscuous and Judah chose to go somewhere else and hang around different friends if you read that in um, Genesis 38 you'll see that what happened to his children was far worse than what happened to him, you know. And uh, and I was just praying about this week, you know, about today, and I said, Lord, you know, there's there's definitely two ways to go, you know. And uh, how can I be a better father? Because 
I'm called to be fathers to not just five of my children, but to hundreds, right? And so are you. We're called to be fathers and mothers, mothers to people that God puts around us because he's a God of family, right? And we start doing that now. We start doing that today. We don't wait, you know, till a situation or till one day or, or when you think you're mature enough. No, you know, God calls us all, you know, to be father to the fatherless, you know. And so I say, God, how can I be a better father? How can you be a better father? Right? Put God first. Put God first. Take the bold stand. And when things get tough, you're able to stand firm. Because what you do when things get tough will be far more impactful than what you do when life is just normal. So could we say that maybe right now we have an opportunity. Everyone has an opportunity, right? To make a greater impact in their kids. You know, we asked our kids, uh, we called them in. And this is, this is what I'm going to challenge you to do. Call in your kids, those around you, you know, and ask them, what do they think about this COVID thing? And just listen. Just listen. <laughs> you know, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting. We did it, and, uh, and you find out what they truly are learning from you. You know, and at some point we have to face this brutal truth, right, even if we don't like it, because it helps us correct the course, right? So we call them all in. We're like, so what do you guys think about this, you know? And you just listen. <laughs> and what comes out of them is it's incredibly revealing to you as to what they've been hearing around from you. <laughs> or where, right? You might go, where did they learn this? Why, why, where did they learn this stuff? And that could be good or that could be bad. And it's just one example, right? Like you could do that with everything, not just with COVID-19. But, um, but it's very interesting. And I, and I want to tell you, it's, it's a growth opportunity for all of us in our parenting and, you know, and what we're leading. Because we lead by example. We lead by how we leave, lead, live our lives. What are the thoughts about that? It's a good place to start. Did any of you learn anything? I mean, I know it's sometimes it's a little harder on the dads. It's like, there's so much, right? So much to take in and so much responsibility. And sometimes, you know, let me tell you this. You might, you might feel a little condemned. You might feel like, oh, I've done a terrible job. Let me tell you something, you know. I've been down that path too. I'm like, I have, I've thought sometimes I've messed them up forever. Sometimes I thought, like, that's it. I just, like, they're going to need counseling their whole life, you know, because of that situation or because of this or because I raised my voice and, like, you know, they're going to need therapy their whole life. Like, let me tell you something. God is so good. That's why our relationship with God is the most important one. That's why putting God first is the most important thing because where we lack and where we miss and where we're imperfect, right, with humility we allow God to come in and fix that. His grace is enough. And he put in you and in me, he put everything that we need to raise those kids and the spiritual kids that he's put around you. If you're in children's church, let me tell you, you're a father. If you're involved in youth ministry, you're a father. If you're involved with young adults, you're, you're a father to them. Okay, And God has put everything inside of you that you need with his Holy Spirit to be everything that they need and to give them everything they need. So when you miss it, 
It's two things. You be humble and you apologize. Because forgiveness restores the standard. Okay? So that they don't learn that. So they go, oh, daddy made a mistake. He made it clear. It's not okay to do that. That restores the standard. Okay? Instead of lowering the standard. You know, lowering the standard is like, well, dad did it. Well, mama did it. So then that lowers the standard. I can do it, right? But when, when we humble ourselves and we say, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have son- said that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't react this way. We restore the standard back up. Because we're letting him know what I did was not okay. And your daddy is not perfect. And the grace of God is so good that it comes in and it makes everything good. So that's where our trust needs to be. And that's why we need to introduce them to who really is the perfect father. Which brings me back again to the point for today. How can you be a better parent, a better father? Keep on growing your relationship with the Lord and put him first. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Ben Diaz. I want to thank you for watching our YouTube video. And I want to encourage you to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you can receive notifications of the weekly videos that are uploaded. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to leave them in the videos. And if you would like to follow us on any other social media platform or go to our website, please see the description below where you can also find our mobile app. Thanks so much and God bless you.